is our week in the Weege. Hello and welcome to Week in the Weege. I'm Natalie Crawford. And I'm Colin Stone. This week in the Weege, Scottish women's football team go full-time ahead of winning, going to next year's <laughs> World Cup. <laughs> Staying with sport and I've been at the Emirates Arena discovering why basketball is one of the fastest growing sports in the country. Meanwhile, there's been a dramatic fall in the number of Scottish teenagers drinking. We find out why kids aren't getting mad with it. And there's new hope for the Guruk man critically ill in Thailand. This is a week in the Weege. Natalie, can you play basketball? That's my question. I can play basketball. Nah, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. I can dribble. <laughs> so can my two-year-old Maybe not nephew. A ball. <laughs> hey. Hey-o. Right. right. Okay. But football first. Yeah. Eighty thousand pounds for Scotland's women's national team, so they can go full time from January and prepare for the World Cup in Paris. And we all know how I feel about that. Okay, well, this is just another example of anyone missed a previous episode of where I think we're being forced to care about something that people don't care about. But But I will let you make your point. People do care about it because it is the fastest growing sport in the country. You just said basketball was that? No, I said it was one of the fastest growing sports in the country, okay? Behind women's football. Right. Okay, so let's deal with women's football first. Okay. Nicola Sturgeon, she was at Hamden this week, along with she- Shelley Kerr and some of the, the women's team, announcing that they'll be able to go full-time from January. And let's see what she said first. Shelley is very clear that it does help with the team's preparation. It allows them all to uh, prepare and train as a squad uh, and to do that in a consistent way for a prolonged period of time. And the preparation for the World Cup obviously is hugely important so this really does enhance their ability to prepare as a squad and as a team and as I say give them the best chance of doing really well at the World Cup they've done their bit already in qualifying I think the whole country is delighted that for the first time in a long long time Scotland will be represented in a football World Cup it's now down to us to do everything we can to support the team and today's announcement is a part of that. And obviously really important for young girls to see that people will get behind them. Well, I think this is a really important moment for football in Scotland, obviously. It's an important moment for women's football. But more than that, actually, it's a really important moment for women's sport generally. And I think if we can allow you know, a whole generation of girls and young women to see that they can get on in sport, that they can reach the top, level of their chosen sport and that there is the support for them to do as well as they possibly can then I think as well as the inspiration the team have given uh, girls by qualifying I think this is a moment where we can really raise the profile of women's sport and that can only be to the good. Okay so that's all good but is this just another kind of virtue signalling, hey, look at us being generous with £80,000 from the government? And this is, oh, and also just a, an opportunity for Sturgeon to kick a ball really, really badly. I think, considering she was wearing heels, she'd done quite a good job of kicking that football, Colin. I'd like to see you try kicking a football in heels. Fair enough. I really would, actually. I think we should organise that. But anyway, no, I really don't think... It is Nicola Sturgeon as the patron of the Scotland's women's football team and she was the patron of the team before they got to the World Cup and let's not try and take anything away from Scotland's women's team. That is a massive achievement and it's only right that they get the funding to go full-time so that they're able to fully prepare for that. There is a massive consultation going on just now across the country about funding in football and how certain sports are funded and... That this is just one way in which we're allowing and encouraging participation. Okay, but £80,000 in the grand scheme of things, considering the amount of money that's going through the men's game, 
just seems like small fry. And I know they're not going to have an endless pot of money, but 80,000 to allow the team to go full time just doesn't seem like an awful lot. It's more just like, a, oh, here's some loose change we found in the back of the government sofa. Come on. Now, you need to remember that some of these women have part-time jobs. Yep. Some of them are studying at college or university or whatever it may be. They play for other teams, Glasgow City, etc. This £80,000 means that they're going to be able to step away from their day-to-day lives and fully prepare themselves. And what Shelley Kerr told me is it's not even just about the training on the pitch. It's about the rest and relaxation as well. Can you imagine trying to train for a World Cup? You're going to represent your country in the biggest stage and the game that you play and then you're having to come home and study or go to college or go to your job to try and pay your bills and you're on on the pitch and you're in training and you're thinking, oh, right, okay, this is great. I'm at the World Cup, but how am I going to pay my rent? That's not fair. So if £80,000 allows them to go and take that worry off their shoulders and completely focus on what's happening on the pitch, then... Great, excellent. Okay, can I just point out at this point that I am not some sort of raging sexist who hates the women's football team. (laughs) Are you not, though? Shut up. I think what they've done here, this achievement, is fantastic, absolutely brilliant. I'm just still not convinced that people actually care. I mean, I think people will be like, yeah, great, well done for the Scotland's women's team. I couldn't tell you a single player, but uh, well done to them. And also, I'd say it sounds like you're auditioning for a place in the subs bench. Maybe I am. Okay. How's your football skills? Um, they're all right. Better. They're they're better than my basketball skills. Oh, it sounds like a lovely segue you've just done. This is a week in the Ouija. Well, as you said at the start of the show, Natalie, let's stick with sport. And you've been out to see the Glasgow. You've been everywhere this week. I have. I here, there, and everywhere. I can't even begin to tell you. You've been out to see the Glasgow Rocks basketball team. Got a the massive men. petrol claim to put in. <laughs> tell me now, are they actually as ludicrously lanky as they appear? Some of them are. Right, okay. One of their star players, I guess. Fan favourite, Johnny Bunyan. Um, just about height. Johnny Bunyan? Yeah, he seems Johnny Bunyan. That's not a real name. He's from Falkirk. Johnny He's Bunyan. a good guy. Really, really, really nice guy. He's been with the Rocks for eight seasons, and I'm probably about height with him. Has he got a cousin like James Veruca? <sighs> God. Johnny Wart. Okay, back to your point. <laughs> yeah, so Johnny Bunyan, great guy. Terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, okay. So yeah, I went to the Emirates to visit the Glasgow Rocks. And Colin, did you know basketball is one of the fastest growing sports in the country? In fact, it is the second biggest participation sport for young men under twenty in the entire country behind football. I did not know that, but now I do. It's fascinating. Anyway. At the Emirates, and I caught up with the team's owner, who is Duncan Smiley, and he has been telling me why the crowds are just flocking to the Emirates week in, week out. Over 60% of our tickets are bought by women, and it's mostly mums buying for families. When you come here um, on a Friday or a Sunday and see our games, it's families, mums and dads and kids, kids from about sort of primary school age into sort of first and second year, and it's a really cool thing for families to come and do on a Sunday, um, Sunday afternoon for example, rather than maybe going to the bowling or going to the cinema or, or going ice skating or something like that. It's sometimes seen as a form of entertainment rather than just sport, um, but it's just a really cool thing for a family to do um, of a Sunday afternoon. It's very cool. And tell me about the support that you do get from Glasgow, because you do get a big crowd here. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we play here on Sunday afternoon at five o'clock and I, I think we'll have close to 5,000 people um, here, so that's a big crowd. and. 
not many football clubs get that in Scotland, so it is a lot of people. We've got about a thousand core fans that come to pretty much every game, and they're really die-hard fans. And then there's a floating 10, 11,000 people in the city that will come one, two, three, four times a season. So we have got a following. Yeah, so 5,000 people are expected at the Emirates on Sunday to watch the Glasgow Rocks take on their formidable rivals, Newcastle Eagles. I think they've played something like 19 games against Newcastle and they've only won two. Oh my. Yeah, so like Newcastle are one of the big teams okay. in the BBL, which is the British ba- Basketball League. But 5,000 fans on Sunday, that is massive. Um, I was speaking to our sports reporter, Andrew, earlier, and he was telling me, I think it was the St Johnston Living- Livingston game earlier this week, barely had a 1,000 fans. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to kind of portray you as the champion for all minor sports here, but why are we caring about basketball? So, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I don't hate sport. As per usual. <laughs> I am pretty terrible at basketball. I do enjoy it, but... Is there, you know, obviously by the sounds of things, it's pretty well attended, but then again, so is the, the Brayhead clan or whatever they're called now. I think it's just really accessible. What um, Duncan, the, the owner, was saying to me earlier was it's one of those sports, it's an urban sport you can play it on the street. All you need is a ball and a makeshift hoop and anybody can play it. So it is really, really accessible. You don't need expensive equipment. You don't need a membership to anywhere. You can have that and you can participate in, 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 in teams and in, in amateur leagues, but you don't need to and I think that that's one of the things that is helping it grow in popularity is just so accessible particularly to young people you can play it in the street you don't need a swimming membership you don't need sticks and equipment and guards and and, and all these other things that you need for other sports it's a week in the weege there's been a dramatic drop in the number of Scottish teenagers drinking alcohol research from the University of St Andrews Found there's been a fall from about 41% of 15-year-olds in 2002 in Scotland boozing on a weekly basis to just 11% of girls in 2014 and 14% of boys. Now, Natalie, we're, we're going to get to the reasons why in just a second. But first of all, just talk me through your teenage tales of booze. But let's keep it PG. You know, we've got a family audience here. I don't have any tales of teenage really? booze. Really? Really? Okay, I was a good girl. Were you actually? I can't tell if you're kind of being sarcastic here. Or no, were... I really, really was. Wow. I, honestly, it's not something that really particularly interested me until I hit university. And then you kind of hit it hard. I, I wouldn't say... <laughs> I didn't hit it hard. I'm not a particularly big drinker anyway. I've just never really seen the fascination. I'm not sure if you can tell, but I'm quite <laughs> fun and bubbly. Don't really need it to have a good time. Um, so... Yeah, I was, I was never one of these kids that sat in the park with a right. bottle of cider that I'd got somebody to go into a shop and buy for me and sat in the park and, and, and drank out. I okay. just was never... Well, coming from the islands where you're the only house for miles, I didn't really have any friends to sit with. Oh, Colin. Uh, to, I know, sad times. I would have been your friend. Thank you, I know that. And my mum. Uh, <laughs> the first time the first time I remember I tried alcohol probably was 14, 15, and I was given a tin of unnamed cider... And I thought it was so revolting. I went to the kitchen where I was and added three teaspoons of sugar to it in an attempt to make oh it taste better. God. And of course, it just tasted even worse. Yeah. I and think my my first taste of alcohol was probably like a Smirnoff Ice. Or a okay, well, that's not so bad. WKD Blue or I think some other brand of alcohol. Just before we actually talk about why this is, just to round up the uh, comical tales of youth, uh, <laughs> in my, I think it was my sixth year prom, which is quite embarrassing to be honest, I was given a, te- uh, a tin of tenants. 
at the uh, the chap's house that I was at, and again, hated the taste of tenants, poured it down the sink, filled it with water, and drank from the same <laughs> can the entire night. Everyone's like, whoa, Colin, you're so hardcore. Lame. I know, right. Okay, let's talk about this. Why is nobody drinking anymore? Well, none of, one of, the, none of the kids anyway. I don't know. It's too expensive for one. Okay, that's one. I think there's been a pretty radical shift in teen culture, to be honest. You know, I completely agree. I know that I have a lot of younger cousins um, who have, have just finished kind of high school going into university type era and they're just not interested in it at all. You know, at family gatherings, whatever it is we're doing, you know, you offer them, oh, do you want a wee this, a wee that? I'm not sure if I should really be admitting that. Um, and the answer's always a resounding no, they're just not interested, I think. Is it education? I think that's part of it. So you've got education. I think you've got things like, I mean, I, it's probably not overstating it to say Instagram and the kind of lifestyles that the rich and famous and these social media influencers live. The Kardashians, for example. I can't imagine them lying passed out with a bottle of Buckfast. And they're probably seeing these things. I mean, actually, you know what? Maybe this is a, an, an attitude of uh, your appearance or, you know, I don't know. There's multiple reasons for this. I also think, though, that the people who are saying... Oh, it's such a shame. Young kids aren't rebellious anymore. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. Surely if they've they've got their heads screwed on, they're not lying unconscious in parks at, you know, 10 o'clock at night. That's probably a good thing, I think. Right, so in comparison, today's teenagers are probably just inside, just affecting the mood lighting of their selfie. Do you know, maybe that's it. In a nutshell, maybe parents have become a little bit more liberal and maybe they're introducing their children to alcohol at a slightly younger age. And it means when they do get to an age where they're able to, you know, go out and and buy it for themselves, whether it is that they're old enough or, you know, they found the shop that'll sell it to them. Maybe they're just not that interested in it anymore. Maybe they've been, what's the word I'm looking for? Accustomed to it. Accustomed to it, yeah. Oh, well, let's raise a glass to that then. This is a week in the Weege. There's new hope of bringing home a Gurukh man who's been fighting for life after a stroke in Cambodia. Charles McLaughlin, who is 38, was found unconscious in his flat in Phnom Penh about a month ago. And he's now been moved to hospital in Bangkok and his mum has flown out there to be by his bedside. Now, Colin, I know that you have been following this story since it started a few weeks ago. It's fallen off the radar a little bit, but you've got a serious point about this story. Yeah, right. So a few weeks ago, every media outlet was covering this. You had this dramatic story of a kind of a hometown lad who went to London. He left his job. He went traveling Southeast Asia. He's had a pretty nasty stroke by the sounds of things. Uh, and his travel insurance has expired. So the family were fundraising. It was a really kind of heart wrenching tale. And then after the initial appeal, everyone just kind of just ignored it. And this happens time and time again. It's not just with the ones who are kind of, uh, you know, ill. You've got uh, Jag Singh Joel, who's the Dumbarton man. He's been in India in prison for, you know, 10 months. And frankly, I think myself and perhaps one colleague from another national broadcaster are the only ones still chasing that story. I It frustrates me. It annoys me that these stories, which are very, very, you know, interesting uh, life or death stories in most cases, get the initial coverage and then initially, they, they, and then slowly they, they fall off the map. We'll, we'll get to a bit more on that. But I spoke to his mum, to Charles's mum, Esther, this week for a very quick update. He still will need what we call a medical pod, which might be just a wee bit cheaper than the actual air ambulance, although it's still expensive. 
um, requires doctors and nurses to go with them. But we're all in tender hooks at the moment, just hoping it pulls through. Right, so they've been trying to raise money for an air ambulance. They were talking £100,000 and that's what got the initial media appeal. But that's just all gone quiet. Just taking you up on your, your point before, I can think off the top of my head of at least three similar stories that we have done in the last year with people getting stranded abroad because they've taken ill and then their insurance doesn't cover it. So what is the problem here? Is it people not getting the the correct insurance? Is it, what I mean, what is it? What is going wrong? I think it's a combination of things. This one in this case was Charles had stayed in Cambodia longer than his insurance had lasted. Had he got his insurance extended, then he would probably be home in the UK right now. There are other cases where people have taken ill abroad because they've something's happened to them which they just simply were not expecting and their tra- travel insurance has been like oh sorry we don't cover that and then that leaves the, the entire family in kind of a, a very tricky situation and these always end up with fundraisers they get the initial appeal and then disappear entirely it's a week in the weege well that almost brings us to the end of the show but before we go it's time to find out how good <laughs> our or natalie's glasgow geography is as we play Where in the Weech. Yes, every week one of us takes a turn to guess what part of Glasgow and the West the other is talking about based on three clues. If ah. we get it right on the first clue, it's three points. Second clue, it's two. And the third, it's one. Yep. There's a running tally and it's my turn in the hot seat. It's 2 nil to Colin. I am so rubbish at this. It's unreal. Right. Okay, you're still yet to get off the score sheet. You've not had that successful tip off, kick off whatever yet but let's start with clue one i've tried to make this kind of slightly more simple let's get you let's get you a few points so you're soon you're not exacting revenge on what i did last no, week. no after you're no. bigger from last week which was ridiculous anyway clue one this is a seaside resort in glasgow in the west um so close incorrect clue two because i know i'll have a gallic reference the name for this place comes from the gallic word meaning rounded hill oh Come on. I'm trying, to th- I'm trying to think of somewhere that's seasidey and also hilly. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. Guruk. Yes! Really? Oh. Yes! It's 2-2! Two, two. I have even the score oh, sheet man. after four weeks! Oh. Woo! <laughs> I'm so happy. Oh, I'm so... I, I, <laughs> I nearly said Guruk in the first guess as well, and then I would have... Uh, the glass yes. clue, if you're interested, was it has one of three remaining outdoor swimming pools in Scotland. Would you have got that one? No. Really? No, I really don't know that. But I didn't know Gurukh had an outdoor swimming pool. And I'm really intrigued by this now. Oh, you should now. 100% go. We can the weed outing. Let's go. It's freezing, but it's great. There's another sport we can talk about. <laughs> Out- what, outdoor swimming in Gurukh? I don't just, think that's a sport. No, just swimming in general. Okay, that's on the next week. A Week in the Weege is a Radio Clyde News production. For the latest around the clock, follow on Twitter at Radio Clyde News. Well, that brings us to the end of today's Week in the Weed. Join us again next time for more on the biggest stories across Glasgow and the West. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next time on A Week in the Weed.